In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. Welcome to the Man Card Podcast and our mission to build an army of men in the arena who are becoming the best version of themselves in changing their world. Males are born. Men are made. We're going to separate the men from the boys. A man is as a man does. We want to help you to become the best version of you. Theodore Roosevelt spoke about this rare breed, saying the credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. That's awesome. The man card belongs to those protecting integrity, fighting apathy, pursuing God passionately, leading courageously, and finishing strong. A man is as a man does. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you. Guys, we honor you today because you are grinding it out in the stress bubble of life. So thank you for listening to this episode of the Man Card Podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. As always, guys, we are all about calling you into the arena of manhood, calling you out of the nameless male-dominated bleachers, and to call you up to the best version of you, because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Hey, I'm Jim Ramos, and as you heard, I am here with my good buddy, the producer, co-host, and the backbone of the Man Card Podcast, Dale Culver. How you doing, my man? Doing muy bien. I don't know. What is that language? I'm an American, so I can't understand <sighs> other languages. means I would love a big old burrito for lunch. <laughs> uh, are you buying? Uh, sure. Okay. If I'm you buy, loaded. If you buy, I'll, <laughs> if you pay, I'll play. Yeah, you'll be all jacked up if you eat that thing. I'll get you my a salad. Is, my stomach is sensitive. It is. I do better on lettuce. You do. No dressing. Over the top of something that's been shot. With some duck meat. Any kind of meat. Yeah. I just ate a couple of duck sticks that were moldy. Did you see that? <laughs> They've been in the fridge for like a month. I'm like, well, there's only two that don't have mold. So you those offered were pretty me one good. Too. It was like eating jerky. So. <laughs> hey, you know what? People are so afraid of meat nowadays. Who cares if it smells bad? As long as it's not green, it's good. Well, regardless, worst case scenario, you're going to lose weight. And if the green is growing on the meat, then I've had salad and a meat. It's like carne asada all at once. True story, bro. <laughs> do you got a man word for me today? I do. I'm gonna I'm gonna call it out right now. Okay, go for oh, it. you're so obvious. I saw you look at the book. I just saw uh, you the book. Dude, the, did, the man word is I, rut. Honestly, is the man word I, rut? Honest to God, is the man word look, rut? No, no. What's the man word? And I didn't look at the. That. Oh, dang it! Jeez. It's not rut, really. I'm gonna hide. Hold on. I, I know what the word is. Okay. It's is it uh is it is it Show up, you yeah it nope, is it is nope. oh. uh, it's hyphenated though. 
Well, you you could hyphenate. Okay. You hyphenate everything, <laughs> just like right. your wife hyphenates her last name on top of yours. Oh, oh, that hurt. Well, at least you. Culver, what's her What's her What's her maiden name? Well, at least I did when I got married. I didn't change is it, mine. Is, can to she have a maiden name when you name. married her when she was twelve? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> this, this is banter day. So right. wait, hold on a second. What is her maiden name? What is her maiden your, name? Heather's maiden name. Her last name. Well, she thought it was Levitt. Um, but she apparently was never really adopted. So, oh, so we turned our. Oh, marriage we just uncovered your wife's brokenness. Let's C- pass. Cottrell. Yeah, Cottrell. So Heather Cottrell. I think it was Cottrell at one time. Oh gosh. Yeah, okay. So, wow. That just dug really up a sure. lot of bones. A lot of dry yeah. bones there. So it, hey, so what's your I man think word? It's pretty pretty cool of you to um, take Shanna's last name and be a Ramos. <laughs> Oh yeah, that hurt That's right there. Pretty that hurt. of you. She so. actually, she actually paid me to marry. She actually paid me. I will pay to have that last name. That is a name of fame, right. baby. Okay, so, sorry. Go word. ahead. Go ahead. Man word is man up. That's not. Oh, yeah, I said it's hyphenated. Oh, I should have guessed that. I went with the obvious. I should have went with the less than obvious. Yeah. So you can't hyphenate man up. You can just say it real fast. We'll call it one man word. Up. Man up. There man up. Mm-hmm. Man up. So why why is that your man word today? You know what? I was having a conversation the other day with the guy, and he's talking about needing a job. Pray for me to get a job. Well, apparently he was offered a job, but <laughs> I had to get up really early, and that just doesn't. I'm like, dude, seriously, you need a man up. I wanted to take that job, but I had to work. <laughs> I had to get. It up. was hard. It's it's hard work. I had to get up early, and I'm like, I'm gonna slap you right here. No, seriously, man up. Pull up your big, put your big boy pants on. Get your little. Do the what work. Is, what are those underwear you wear at night when you sleep? <laughs> your pull ups. Oh, how would you know that? You oh, wear them at night when you I'm sleep. I'm a five year old that <laughs> no, sometimes needs them. Get your so. pull ups off. Put on your big boy pants and be a man. Oh my god, man gosh. up, man yeah. up. I just it reminded me of that that uh, post I saw on Facebook about that that girl that's millennial that's like, well, that doesn't work for me because I got to do this and this and this, and I have to have my mocha latte, chaka. Blah, blah, blah. And so 11 o'clock works for me. Can I come in then? This is a job interview. Well, here's the deal. Man up. Males want to feel good before they do it. Right. Men do it Mm -hmm. and then feel good afterwards. And so when you say man up, you're saying get it done, do the right thing, even if you don't feel like doing the right thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Even if you don't feel like doing my, I, we came back from Colorado at the men's conference this weekend. I got in at 3 in the morning. I woke up at 6 because our granddaughter was there. I'm hurting. I'm dragging. I, I'll be honest with you. I'm whining. Mm-hmm. But, man, I love that little granddaughter until we took her home. And then I spent the whole day with my wife because I realized, man, she really needs it right now. So yeah. it's just – and it was hard, man. Tuesday, I was wiped out Tuesday because of Monday. Mm-hmm. So, um, hey, man up, baby. So, hey, that's good. So, hey, want to encourage our guys again to get on the Men in the Arena Facebook page. We are – 10,100 guys after 10 months. That thing is blowing up. It's great to have the conversations and see what's going on. But, guys, remember, when you're posting, focus on manhood issues. We don't really care about politics or controversial issues. If you think it's a Pandora's box, it is. Don't We won't approve it. So focus on the issues. Focus on asking great questions about manhood. If you've got uh, a cool uh video or something about manhood man those are awesome but let's be very careful to not venture into this land of controversy we just it doesn't benefit anybody it makes people angry and you know you're a lot tougher behind a computer screen than you are face to face so let's just realize that so hey i want to bring on our guest and uh, this guy is a big guy face to face about six foot four 275 pounds how tall are you rex six two Oh, six. You look six four to me, man. I respect you that much. You must so. be a pastor. So no, he's not a pastor. I think, no, you. 
Oh, yeah. I think he's yeah. seven foot. I'm not a pastor either. So Rex <laughs> is 59 years old. He lives in Glen Allen, Virginia, with his beautiful wife, Wecky, Becky, uh, for the past 39 years. And I say beautiful wife because you look at look look at, look at at uh, Rex. How could he not be married to a pretty woman, right? He is a good so looking he, man. He's been in the construction industry for 39 years. He founded Man Up Ministries, oh. thus the man word mm-hmm. that was hyphenated, in 2006. He's uh, published four books, Living It Out of the Rut, Be Intentional, Just Show Up, Boot Camp, and uh, man, it's his big one of his biggest accomplishments is seven of the men from his Monday night men's group have spoken at Iron Sharpens Iron National Men's Conferences. So that's pretty impressive. His passion is helping men get out of the rut and helping churches launch ministries to men. He has two children, Brett, 31, Amanda, 29, three grandchildren, and two on the way i want to introduce my good friend rex tigner how you doing man hey man how are you i'm doing good yeah you do have a little accent there yeah some of the guys that you have on the show might need a translator <laughs> so i did not realize that that virginia so not now when i say virginia there's not a west and east virginia there's virginia and west virginia right right yeah i live in the virginia not the west the Virginia. And so mm. I didn't realize that's that is recognized as South. Yes. Yeah. We have we have we have all the statues down on Monument Avenue to prove it. You know what? I'm actually looking at the I'm actually looking at my map and you are pretty south. You are now West West Virginia is beneath you, correct? West Virginia is above us. Is above you. Okay, so yes. is that the green state I'm looking at, Dale? Yeah. Right now? West Virginia West Virginia is up in the mountains. Okay. Okay. Oh, I'm looking. I see it now. I see it now. Yeah. 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 It's still pretty high north, man. Anyway, well, we'll just take it as it is. So. Yeah, we're below DC, so we're good. <laughs> man. Hey, hey, Rex. We're gonna throw you in the rapid fire round. Are you ready for this, man? Let's do it. All right. Here we go. Did I mess that up? Let me start that one again. I didn't give enough gap here, so let me start it again. Hey, Rex. We're gonna throw you into what we call our rapid fire round. Are you ready for this, man? All right, let's do it. Okay, so what I've chosen for you, man, because you are fast on your feet. I mean, you've got to come back for everything. And so I thought that for you, I would go with the would you rather round. And very only the brave survived this round. So, but I believe that you can handle it. I believe you've got what it takes. All right. Okay, here you go. I'm going to ask you would you rather uh, scenarios. You tell me which one and why. Would you rather climb Mount Everest or skydive out of a plane at 30,000 feet? Skydive. Why is that? At least I know I'm going to hit the ground that way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, when you're six foot two, 275, climbing Mount Everest doesn't sound too fun, does it? No, it really doesn't. (laughs) Hey, would you you rather be invisible or have the ability to see through anything? I'd go invisible. Why is that? Then I, then I could be in places that nobody would know and hear really what's going on in their lives. Ooh, that's good. I like it. I like that. Would you rather die for your country or live for a cause? Oh, wow, that's a tough one. Yep. Let's do both because if you fight for the country, you are living for a cause. Oh, good answer. That's the way to pull it together. I like it. Hey, would you rather – now this one's getting really hard now. This one's going to be – would you rather die for your wife or die for a child? Die, I did, you broke up. Would you rather die for your wife or die for one of your children? 
That's not even a fair question. That is a fair yeah, question. That... I know what I'd answer. <laughs> yeah. You can make another child. <laughs> not 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 anymore. I can. <laughs> I, I I don't know because my wife had my kids. Oh, you know, with man. with some help, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I don't know. I have I have a really good wife. My wife is stood by me when not many other people did. Yeah. That's a hard question. I mean, I think for me, I would say my wife instantly, knowing how hard of an answer that is to, to answer that question. But her, uh, she is the most important person on the planet. And if she is, I would need to take that bullet for her, even though I've got three sons who I love with all my heart. And that's a tough question. So here's one that's not so, not so um, emotionally based. Would you rather live a boring long life or a short or live a short, have a short heroic death? Well, if if I live if I live like I'm supposed to, it doesn't matter because, you know, I, I learned a long time ago is 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 you're going to die two deaths. The first one's when you breathe your last death breath here, and the second one is when your name is mentioned for the very last time. Oh. And and what I do today is going to determine how long that name lives. So it's like you got to live every day to leave a legacy. Oh, that's really good. I was I read a quote in a book, and I think it was the book Seth Barnes, one of our guests, wrote called Kingdom Journeys. And in the book, there was a quote that said, "Most men die at twenty five, and don't get buried till seventy five." Yeah, and and you know, I use the quote when I do the what if um, conferences that I started doing. And the sad part, we have too many men that are living seventy five same year seventy five times. Oh, whoa, that's and, different. And, yeah, man. And, and and it's sad to see is, is we've just got guys that are just, you know, they wake up and yesterday, today is like yesterday, last year, last month, and they're just living it 75 times. Well, you know, what's funny is that quote I just quoted was from Ben Franklin, and he said, many people die at 25 and yep. aren't buried till 75. And actually, that's in your book. I knew I yep. read it. I knew I read it in a book recently. That's in your well, book. That's cool. At least, at least you read the book. Oh, I read the book. I read all the books. Yeah. Are you kidding me? So so yeah. what do you think? So you're saying now Ben Franklin says most people die at 25 and aren't buried till 75. Tony Campolo said in his book, uh, Heaven is Like a Party or something like that. I can't remember the name of the title of the book. Heaven is Like a Party? Anyway, he said that instead of pay, praying, uh, if I die before I wake, we should pray if I wake before I die. And you're saying that men live their lives the, the same year over and over again. What does that mean to you? Well, it means is, is that most guys are just watching life go by. They're keeping God in a box instead of letting him out, and letting God do with their lives what he really wants to do. Instead, we're just living the same old life and just calling it a, calling it happy. So would you would you define a rut as, as living the same thing over and over again, or how would you define a rut? I, I just find a rut is that thing that you get stuck in, you know, there's a sign that hangs in Alaska Highway. It says, be careful what rut you choose. You could be in it for the next 10 miles. And the sad part is, the sad part is we've got guys that are in it for the next 25, 30, 40 years. Yeah. And they're just not seeing what's available to them and what God, you know, most guys, most guys have, have been hurt have been jammed up in the back, you know, and a lot of guys have just told you're, useless you're no good and and it takes guys like you and me and some of the other guys you've had on the show the do sex and right on down the line 
calls these things out of these guys. Yeah. You know, and says, Hey, you, you could do this. I mean, if God did it with me, why wouldn't you want to do it with you? You know, that's really good, man. I, I think about when I speak to guys is like slapping them in the face and saying, wake up. But really it's not even that it's basically taking a chain, wrapping it around their neck and pulling them out of a rut. Right. Yeah. And I don't know if you wrote this in your book, but somebody once wrote, it might be in your book, but somebody said, the difference between the rut and the grave is the size of the hole. And so the rut can be quantified or qualified as the grave while breathing. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it, and, and I don't know about you, but as, you, as, as I go through life, I, I run into a lot of miserable guys. And and when a guy when a guy gets it, man, there's something about watching a guy get it. And, yeah. and he talks differently, he acts differently, he lives differently. I mean, he even walks differently. Yeah. And and that's so cool is is and, and you read, you know, one of my favorite things is is see I love to I love to take a guy that's sitting in my Monday night group and I'll get back from a trip and he says, man, I, I really would like to do that, man. I really like just to experience that one time. So I had one guy and I, and I, and I stopped group and I picked the phone up and called one of my buddies in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And, and I said, Mark, I got a guy here that, that wants to do a fatherhood session at the ISI conference in Baton Rouge. And you got to remember, I've got, 30 guys sitting around the room and I am having this phone call. And, and so Mark says, absolutely. You recommend him, bring him. So I turned around and I said, hold on, let me ask him. So in front of 30 guys, <laughs> I said, all right, man, you ran your mouth. What are you going to do? And he said, well, I guess I got to go now. And I said, I guess you do. <laughs> so that's the way I do things. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, don't tell me, don't tell me you want to do something because I'm going to jam you up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you said that most men are miserable. Is that what you just said? Most men are miserable. Yeah, most men are just miserable. Well, you, you know, they put on they put on their happy face for church and go back to miserable. Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that because in page three of your book, uh, Living Out of the Rut, you wrote this: after years of frustration and despair, I would call that misery. Many people who may have been in ruts just like yours throw in the towel and settle for something far less than God's best. Many have given up on careers, marriages, even their faith. But the reason is always the same. It's much easier to stay in the rut than be free. So why do men choose to be in this death rut instead of be free? Why would they choose why would a man choose that? Hey, I want to back up, man. I wrote that really. Yeah, that's good, huh? Wow, man, that's cool. Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, you're not as well, dumb as well, you think you are. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me tell you. Let me give you that answer with uh, with a with a, a young guy named Greg. Okay, we were we were sitting six of us flew down to a, a Florida Men of Integrity conference some years ago, and was sitting in an airport. And one of the young guys, he was about 23 years old. God just thumped him upside the head. Okay, got his attention but only so much. Okay. So we're sitting in the airport and I looked at him and I said, Greg, I said, can I ask you a question? And he said, yeah. I said, when are you going to step out and do what God's calling you to do with your life? Mm. And he looked at me and he said, I'm not. Whoa. And I said, why? And he said, because 
I'm afraid of what he's going to ask me to do and what he's going to require me to give up. Mm. So for the last 20 years, he's now right at 40 years old. And for the last 20 years, 15 years, his life is just absolutely miserable. And he, he's been through, his wife tells him, he said, if you don't go to Monday night group, I'm leaving you and things like that. So he'll show up and I don't let him come back anymore because he only uses Monday night to get through, to get her back home. Uh, um, you know, but the thing is, is, is I just, I've run into so many of these guys that just say, I'm afraid of what I've got to do and what I've got to give up. Well, so therefore yeah. they settle for misery. And isn't that the definition of misery? When you know the right thing to do and you purposely choose to neglect it or deny it or reject it? Oh, yeah. It's, I mean, I live my life that way and I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah, it's not worth it. I mean, we talk about with the Great Hunt for God, we talk about men becoming their best version, and you can't become your best version. Uh, apart from from radical commitment to Christ, you can call yourself a Christian. You can go to church, but without radical commitment to Christ, you you will never step into your best best version. Because it's through Christ that we're willing to take the risks. And here's the big part: you mentioned this earlier, Rex. You said these guys are afraid of what he may ask me to do, and afraid of what he may ask me to give up. Most yes. men don't get hung up on what to do; they get hung up on giving stuff up. Yes. Yeah. I, I, you know, I don't want to give up whatever it may be, whatever little vice they have. Oh yeah. You know, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm working on a, on a session now called the husband tune up, um, to go along with the fatherhood tune up. And the very first one is in there, it says, love your wife above. And there's a question mark behind it. And the reason the question mark is, is because if we're not careful, we can put so many things, even our golf game, above her. Absolutely. You know, and above our ministry. I mean, that's what we have to be careful of is, is you know, I, I went through a time where ministry started off and it was really, really slow. It just won't move in like I thought it should move. You know, you ever been there? <laughs> the first five years. <laughs> yes. So I started going in and helping other people with their ministries and going to set doing sessions on their behalf and things like that. And one day I had a really good friend walked up to me and he told me, he says, Rex, he said, God didn't give you their ministries. God gave you a ministry and we don't know who you are anymore. Huh? And from that moment on, I walked away. I, I made, phone calls and talk with each one of the other ministries that I was helping personally. And I really started focusing on man up. And after that moment, man up has just really started to escalate. Well, and you, so you are a full-time construction guy and you're a yes. high, high up in that industry. But then you've started this ministry, a nonprofit ministry called man up ministry. So you do that on the side after you're done working your day job. Yes. So, it, yep. which is very impressive, man. Very, very impressive. And so, what? Give me a, a sentence here. What is Man Up Ministries? What's your mission? What do you guys? What's your vision and mission? Uh, 
my thing, I just, I really believe the average guy is sitting on the side of the road. Like in my book, I talk about Barnabas. Yes. And, yes. and he, and he gets ready to rise up. And when he gets ready to rise up, people around him tell him, Hey, don't you know who you are? Don't you remember where you've been? Don't you remember your past? Don't you remember your junk? And most men sit right back down. And see, I want to help that guy. See, that's the guy that I love to get a hold of. And that's the guy that I love to walk through and have coffee with because that's the guy when he rises up, everybody that ever knew him, everybody that has ever seen him and things start to change, they go, hey, uh, what's happening? And that's when you get a chance to grab a hold of another one. Well, what's interesting about Bartimaeus's story is he did not embrace his identity as a blind man. He reached out and believed God for something bigger. And so when you talk about, in your book, uh, Living Out of the Rut, so when a man embraces his false identity, he's believing a lie, and he's not able to get out of that rut. And sometimes that's a really good lie, Rex. Sometimes that lie is, hey, man, you are a millionaire, a million-dollar-a-year-producing executive. That is who you are. You are making money. You are you are you are uh, resourcing your life out to others. That is who you are. And what you're saying is, no, that's not who you are. You're something more than that. Right. I, I love I love the verse that's in Jeremiah one, verses four and five, where he says, "I knew you, then I formed you." Okay. And in Jeremiah's case, he said, "Jeremiah," he said, "I've set you apart." And, and I've appointed you as a prophet to the nation. Okay, he tells Jeremiah, I've appointed you as a prophet to the nation. See, I believe God tells every man, I've appointed you to a blank, but most men don't want to fill it out, that blank, because most men don't want to take the time to figure out what that blank is. Well, and what I love about what you're doing, Rex, is that you have a full-time job, and you're living out the blank, right? Yes. And so. I think a lot of times our, our men, uh, men get wrapped up and identify with what they do for a career. And for most men, what they do for a career is actually not the blank that God has called them to. Would you agree with that, or is that, am I off on that? No, I agree 100%. One of the coolest things that ever happened is, is at, the end of, at the end of a session at the Iron Sharpens Iron or wherever I may be, I typically will get two or three guys that will come up and go, hey, what you talked about is really cool, you being a pastor and everything. And, boy, I get to tell them, I said, no, they won't let me be one. You know, uh, but, but what I really do is I'm a construction inspector. See, I work 40 hours a week around a bunch of guys that cuss all day long and rant and rave. You know, and, and what I'm doing here is just something that God said, hey, you need to go do this. You know, that's, my, my, that's job, my, my job is just a means to the end to pay the bills, to keep the roof over my head. Don't get me wrong. One of the coolest things that happened is, is I had a guy that got a phone call on one of my crews that his mother was being rushed to the hospital. And he went and jumped in a truck to go and he stuck it up in park and he jumped out and he says, Hey man, he said, would you pray for my mother before I leave? See, to me, that's what it's about. You know, it's funny, man. I got back from this men's conference and and the way it worked out, I missed my flight because I fly standby and I missed my flight. And so Dale and I were going home. He went home and got his ride home. I didn't have a car. So at three in the morning, I called an Uber driver and this is a great story. So this guy picks me up in a bright yellow Ford fit. 
is that Ford? Honda, Honda Fit. Honda Fit. <clears throat> and he's driving. Did he have man makeup on? No, he had a beard. He was a Marine. Uh, he oh, had a hat. Okay. The guy that got out of the car was everything the exact opposite of what you would expect to get out of a Ford, uh, Honda Fit. So we're driving, and he starts talking about his marriage and and sharing about his wife and how his his wife's friends don't like him because they're Christian church people and they're just hypocrites. And he starts blowing up. He just starts blowing up these Christian hypocrites. And and I'm sitting there just kind of saying, uh huh, whatever, trying to nod off to sleep as he's talking. And it was so funny. About five minutes later, he got really serious. He goes, "You know what I do?" He goes, "When I'm driving people in this car, you know what I tell them?" I go, "What?" He goes, "I just tell them. I just want." I said, "I just tell them." I want you to do something for me when you get home. I want you just to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I want you to trust him with your life. So here's a guy over here who's, and he's cussing the whole conversation, the whole drive home. So he's cussing the whole drive home. He's bad-mouthing these Christians, but he's saying, hey, man, I just want people to walk with Jesus. And I just thought, man, that is just so interesting how the language, and this guy does not go to church, how the language of men outside of the church is different from men inside the church. And I just thought it was really, and I, one of the things I'm trying to, I, I'm going to be speaking about this more and more, speaking against this more and more, is what I, in the church is something I call intellectualism. I think intellectualism drives the church. We are, our churches are filled with men in pulpits who have a lot of paperwork behind them. They have MDivs, they have uh, masters in arts and theology degrees, they have PhDs, they have doctor of ministry degrees. They are intellectual guys. And, and, and they think a lot about Jesus and read a lot about him, and they teach a lot about him, and those are all good things. But the problem with intellectualism is the ch- in the church is 99.9% of the men who attend churches do not engage in intellectualism. They are hardworking guys who are educated in their field, who talk the talk of men, and I'm afraid sometimes we don't talk the language of men in the church. We talk some other language. Right. We, we don't. Uh, the sad part is, is the churches have gotten how to talk to men. Yeah. And this is what you're talking about when you're working a full time job and you engage with the Man Card podcast. We, we talk the language of men and it, it and people yes. go, well, that's a little edgy. I go, well, why don't you go to a construction site sometime or go get on a deep sea fishing boat with a, a fishing crew sometime? Or why don't you uh, go down to some guys laying concrete sometime and, and see how those guys are talking? And see how the believers are interacting with them, because the believers at the work site speak a language that may be a little bit off sometimes, but they're speaking yep. a language to engage in the gospel with these guys. And this is what guys don't understand, I think, sometimes. But you, you, you talk about this a little bit in your book, man. You talk about uh, four things that keep men in this rut, and one of those things is we keep God in a box. Can you unpack what that means? If I keep God in a box, you say in your book, I am going to stay in the rut. What does this mean? Oh yeah, the God in the box. It's it's funny because when I typically keynote, I'll walk up on the platform and I have a box under my arm, and I'll talk for you know fifteen minutes with a box under my arm, and everybody's sitting there going, "What in the world is a box?" And and see, that's what I did is is I went back to church and I carried God in my little box. The music would start and I would peel a little top open, a little little bit of God out. Music would stop. All of a sudden, the pastor would say something. I'd peel a little bit of lid out and let a little bit of God out. I get back to the trunk and I, I back to the my car and I throw my box back in the trunk of the car until next week. And then one day, all of a sudden, is as God said, you know, if you really let me out of the box, I could do more with your life than you can. And um, and and that's you know, I, I I love to say, God loves to interrupt your life. Okay, and that day, God interrupted my life because mm. I let him out of the box and and. 
you know, and I can tell you, man, when, when, when God gets out of the box and you let him out of the box and you don't stuff him back in there, the, the, the view is amazing and the journey becomes amazing. Wow, that's good, man. Hey, we're going to take a short break and come back after we hear from our sponsor. Well, now, as you were saying this God in the Box thing, it just hit me, Rex, just now. You know, Moses came upon a burning bush. Yep. And that bush, the Bible says, was not consumed. It was not consuming the bush. It was just burning. But it re- what really hit me about your God in the Box uh, thought is that the fire did not jump over and burn Moses. The fire was contained to this one bush. And, yep. and God tends to do that, right? He tends to say, sit there and burn, and we can see it, but unless we actually approach it, or unless we actually uh, uh, pull the box apart, God will, in his sovereignty, stay in that one area because we will not allow him beyond that. And it wasn't until Moses said yes that God really mused him historically, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the, the amazing part to me is, you remember when the disciples were in the boat and Jesus had already said, let's go to the other side, and he comes out walking. Well, one of the Gospels said that he was about to pass them by. Yep, I remember that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what that tells me is is that he'll let you fight that storm and, and fight it and fight it and fight it until you invite him in. And it's the same way with the boxes is he'll let he'll sit right there in my box and be ready for whenever I let him out. And and like I said, when when you flip open that lid and God comes out, God grabs a hold to your life and he starts doing things that only people can write about and only you can write about. So why do we as men and I, I, I personally and maybe I'm wrong, Rex, I personally think this is more difficult for men than women. I think it's easier for women to let God out of the box than men. Maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to me that I that that's the way it is. Why is it so difficult for a man to let God out of the box? What what constrains God to us? Well, I think nobody is, you know, the, one of the things that I run into a lot is, is the father wound. So we mm. talk about God and how much he loves us and everything else, and then you're dealing with a man that had an earthly dad and he didn't care nothing about him. You know, and he's asking himself, he says, how can how can this guy that I see every day, he can't stand me. But the one that I can't see every day, he he, he loves me. I I don't get it. So that's one of the comparisons that I see that one of the life battles we have to help a guy understand is, is that your identity is not found in your dad or 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 where you came from or your past. Your identity is found in what your daddy in heaven says. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and and so what he understands is is that God loves to take imperfect people and do perfect things with them. Hmm. He he grabs a hold of it. You know, I, I've got a guy that's going to be going to um, to the New York ISI with me, and he is one of the best granddads, man, you will ever see. I mean, the dude is all over it, and. You know, and, and he was sitting there and he and, and he was telling me, he says, tears running down his face. He said, I just would love to share with other granddads the things I missed out on and how things turn around in a moment. So he's going up there and he's doing a grandfathering session. Man, I mean, I can't wait. It's going to be amazing. And so here's a guy for 60 years lives in a box. 
Interesting. And all of a sudden, it changes. You know what I've found, Rex, and I don't know about this, but I know uh, women tend to trust, uh, will choose trust over fear. Like if my wife is afraid of something and I say, honey, just trust me, it's okay, she just will jump in headlong. But a man seems to be paralyzed by fear more than women to me. And so for me, I know my experience as a follower of Christ and, and watching other men is fear keeps God in a box because we don't know what he's going to do when yep. he comes out of that box. And so that, oh, I, I agree. So fear seems to be a big motivator uh, to keep guys in a box. But now you, but that, that goes to the second thing you talk about in getting out of the rut. So you talk about this thing called stinking thinking. You know, oh, how, yeah. how we think keeps us in the box. Walk me through why you chose that phrase. Well, the thing is, is, is I really think there's power in words. Yeah. And, and the sad part is, is a lot of us are defined by this thing called labels. Okay. Some we give ourselves, some other people give us. And the labels, they're only going to do three things. They're going to define you, drive you, or destroy you. Okay. Hmm. And, and, and so with those labels, you've got to word your way. You've got to get that stinking thinking out from behind you and start allowing those labels and those words of, of other people. I, I sit before a board of pastors one day and I've always had a simple view of the Bible. I think that once you start to see your life and yourself in the Bible, the Bible becomes really alive. Okay. And I sit before a board of guys, board of pastors one day to get my minister's license and they told me that I was not biblically sound enough to get my license. You weren't intellectual enough. Right. I wasn't intellectual <laughs> enough. And and then I started I started quoting scriptures and I I said, Is this what you're looking for? And they said, Yes. And and I said, Well, guys, I said, if if people can't believe what God's doing in my life, they're never gonna believe this book right here. And I held up my Bible. Well, I had a long ride home and and you know, the, the thing, the thing is, is that when you start really understanding who God is and you start reading the stories of all the imperfect people that he used, but he just started telling them who they were and it gets rid of that stinking thinking, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and, and as long as we stay stuck, there is, is we're never going to take a step anyhow. You know, if we keep believing who other people, I, I've learned a long time ago, there are always plenty of people willing to tell you who they think you are and what you should become. Totally, for sure. And, and and you can either you can either live the life they want you to live, you can live the life God's got planned for you to live. Well, and the problem with that statement, Rex, is usually those people that tell us that are our parents or people that we respect. Wow. We don't we don't care about the jackass down the street telling us that, but yep. we care about when mom or dad or a coach or a teacher tells us that. And you know, yep. you you said something really interesting. Once once I'm labeled, I can do one of two th three things. I can let it one define me. I can let it two drive me, or I can let it three destroy me. You know, yep. I would say drive is a good one, but the other two are negative. And so so often yep. we allow these things to define us. You know, I'm not smart enough. Uh, I'm not strong enough. Uh, I don't look a certain way, right? And what we tell men, Rex, and I know you agree with this, is a man looks like a lot of things, man. He can be a construction worker. He can be a poet. He can be mm -hmm. a Democrat. He can be a conservative, Republican. He can be a an artist. 
He can be a metalhead at the gym, you know, b- b- pounding weights. He can be a hunter. He can be a tree hugger. He can be all of these things because at the end of the day, a man is as a man does. Yep. You know, but what happens is we say, no, this is a man or, or because you're this way, you can't do this. And, and we, what we do as soon as somebody says that they put God in a box. Yep. And, 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 you know, when those guys told me that I was not good enough to get my license, I got in the car and I was riding home and, and I I was, I was rejected. I was just totally rejected because I listened to the voices of the other people. And I later found out is is what I thought was being rejected. God was only redirecting me. Ooh, rejected versus redirected. Right. And and, and I tell you what, I mean, now I, I fully get that I'm not called to be a pastor of a church. I'm called to help men who hung on junk, who are stuck on the past, who 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 have walked away from families and things like that. That's, that's who I'm called to. That's, that's the guy, you know, people tell me, we, you know, you need to really get in front of pastors. I'll be honest with you. I don't really care about getting in front of pastors. I want to get in front of a guy that is hurting. That says his life is crumbling down and I want to watch it. You know, we were talking, you're going to Burlington this year, I believe the keynote. And, and I did Burlington a couple of years ago and I did the God in the box. And there was this young man sitting on the front row and, and he, after I was done, I put the box down on the platform and this young man couldn't take his eyes off of that box. And I noticed him when I was talking at the end of the session, I walked off the platform and he's standing there and he's still looking at the box and the closing song. I walk over and I pick up the box and I hand it to him and I tell him, I said, it's your time to let God out of the box. <laughs> That's good. It was amazing, amazing. The guys around him, man, he huddled up. He broke. You know, I saw him last year. He said, man, he said, God's out my box, man. Man, that's powerful you know? stuff. That is powerful and, stuff. Yep. So, well, you know, and you, you kind of, you go on in your book, and I thought this is really interesting. She said, you know, you have this keeping God in a box, which really, uh, if we keep God in a box, it leads to stinking thinking. But then our stinking thinking moves into this third thing you mentioned called a fuzzy focus. Now, I, I wrote in parentheses, I call this brokenness. The, 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 when I, when I have, do not have the ability to focus on the things that God wants me to focus on, there's a brokenness in me I need to adjust and fix. Well, when, you, when you said fuzzy focus, what did you mean by fuzzy focus? I, I, I look at the Jim Ramos, okay? I don't speak like Jim Ramos. I look at the Crawford Loritz. I don't speak like Crawford Loritz. I, I look at the Tony Evans. I'm not a Tony Evans. And, and sometimes we see those people like that, and it starts to cloud our focus of oh. who we really are and who we're called to, to reach and who we're called to become even more so. And, and you know, that's... That's, I guess you could say that's one of the pitfalls of doing this is, is you're around all these people and, and then, you know, we, we make joke, we made a joke earlier about my accent, you know, (laughs) and, and the funny part is, is, you know, there, there are places I go, I do need a translator. And, and, but, you know, what I'm saying is, 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 (laughs) <laughs> we can listen we can listen to ourselves and try to become things we're not instead of listening to God and become who we can be 
That's so true, man. I mean, I, I, I am not, a, I do a couple things pretty good, but I am so far removed from the details. And I, I get around, de- if I don't have detailed people in my life, I'm, I'm sinking, I'm a sinking ship. <laughs> and so I look at people and I go, God, why don't I have that? Why can't I crunch numbers like that? Why can't I see these these uh, these these uh, details. Why why can't I paint the world with small strokes? Why does my painting look like a stick figure? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And, and yep. God is saying to every man today, "You be you." Yep. There's only one of you. You be yep. you. And and you know what I do, man? People make fun of me. I, I get teased all the time, Rex. And you're one of the guys that teases me, by the way. And I no. be, because uh-uh. no. oh what? Well, hey, I have to forgive I you. Never tease you. I would never tease you, <laughs> would never tease <laughs> you about eating a salad at a men's. Hey, thing. I've got a, there was chicken on there, man. There was chicken on there. <clears throat> but I here, here, <clears throat> and I, <clears throat> I got pictures. And I had a chocolate chip cookie to wash it down. But you know, my thing is, if we can't laugh at ourselves and our weaknesses. Then we we might have yep. some brokenness, right? Because I need to laugh at my weaknesses. Because when I laugh at my weaknesses, people go, "Whoa!" He acknowledges a weakness. I can help that man because in acknowledging my weaknesses, I'm acknowledging my humility. Right now, I will also acknowledge my strengths, and in my strengths, I may not need as much help. Right? I may need people around me to curtail my pride because of those strengths, but I need people to come alongside of my weaknesses. I need people to uh, uh, constrain uh, my strengths, like that laser focus. I need to make sure that I'm laser focused. I don't let that laser focus hit a mirror and come back to me and make it all about me. We need to stay focused on who we are because there's nobody like us. Right. Well, that day, that day that I left that meeting with those guys after being rejected, I had a 45 minute ride home. You know what Satan can do with your mind in 45 minutes on a ride home? Yep. That's what was happening. Well, you said something. And, yeah, go ahead, man. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. And I got down. I was, I was about halfway home and I got down to airport drive. I was on interstate and, and airport drive. You'll, you'll understand it in a minute. And I don't know whether or how God speaks to you, but I've only, I've only had this really happen one time like this. And it was like, God was sitting in the back seat and he leaned up and he said, yo, (laughs) I thought he was from New York, but I found later. It's Rocky Balboa. Yeah. Rocky. (laughs) And, um, and, and, and he, and he told me, and and this is, this is what I got is, is he said, I never told you to get it. Watch what I'm going to do without it. Okay. So I'm riding home, I get home and, you know, I'm still having the pity party. I don't know about you, but I don't invite people to my pity parties because they want to ruin them. Yeah, totally. You know, so so I'm sitting there. And, and you know, the best part of it all is every Friday when I leave home to go to the airport, I get off airport drive. And it's like God and I have this moment and he says, go get them, mm. you know. And, and, and it's every Friday I get to get reminded is, is what I thought was rejection was only a redirection. And it is so cool. <laughs> so stinking cool of just how God works in the details as long as we don't allow that fuzzy focus to sit in front of it. Well, you talked about on your way home that Satan entered in, you know, that you had that temptation. And I'm going to be really honest with you. The one thing out of your book— that I will never forget. One thing. If I can get one thing out of a book that I'll never forget, that's a pretty good deal. And the one thing out of every book I'll never forget is you talked about Satan. And you said 1 Peter 5.8 talks about Satan prowling around like a roaring lion. 
And I mm-hmm. thought, yeah, I've got that verse memorized. Say it for your enemy, the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour. But you said that when a lion is roaring, he can't attack. When a lion is roaring, he's making noise to frighten off some animal or establish territory. But when a lion is roaring, he is not hunting. A rattlesnake, a rattlesnake does not rattle when it's hunting. A rattlesnake only rattles out of fear. It will bite you when it's rattling, but it rattles as a warning, as a fear. But when it hunts, it's not rattling. A lion, when it's roaring, does not attack. I thought that was so good because we say, we oftentimes acknowledge, oh, Satan is doing this. Well, if you see him doing something, maybe he's not doing anything except for roaring and making loud noise. Yeah, he's just no, he's just loud. Yeah, I, I thought yeah. that was really good, man. So I really thank you for uh, stealing that from someone else. <laughs> uh, yeah. Hey, I've learned. I've learned. Copyright means copy it right. Oh, you know, it, baby, the art of originality is not revealing your sources. <laughs> I'll, I'll, if you ever hear me speak in Iron Sharpens Iron Conference, and I say, "Man, when the when that devil's roaring, he's just making noise." Someone yeah, once said, yeah. or if I say, "You know, I've been thinking when that devil is roaring," you just go, "Tigner, Tigner," yeah. you just go, "Hey, copyright, baby, copyright." Yep, come on, man, let's have it. Come on, man. Yeah, hey, so I want to breach a subject here, and we we breached it briefly, but in your book, you talked about something, and I I'd like to camp on this as long as we can, and we don't talk about this as men. In fact, I call this the great unmentionable among men. And no, it's not masturbation. It's fear. You said in your book, yep. man, you said, uh, faith can move a mountain, but fear can create one. And you talk about the God in the box. Man, I just go back to men and our fears. We are just yes. so afraid. And I think our counterparts, I shouldn't say counterparts, our partners in crime, our, our women, they don't struggle with the fear. Now, they struggle with insecurity, like I've never struggled with like like if I can tell you I go oh Rex man you're just an ugly just an ugly guy in a blue shirt you'll be like hey screw you you're an ugly guy in a black shirt I'm like ah ha ha funny man I tell my wife that oh you're just an ugly girl ah you know because they're very insecure yep but for men if I tell a man you don't have what it takes in fact John mm-hmm. Eldridge says this is the question guys ask do I have what it takes if I if I challenge your fear. Now I've declared war on you because we don't like to talk about fear. So I want you to talk me through fear and how it relates to men staying in a rut. Well, the first thing is, is we fear usually three things in fear. Okay. The first one is, is fences. What are the barriers? What are the barriers do I have to deal with? What are the barriers do I have to go over? What are the barriers in front of me? Hmm. You know, how is my past? How is my past going to affect my future? You know, all of these things. So we have the, the, the fear of fences, uh-huh. it's the barriers. Then we have the fear of faces. Oh. Okay. These are the people that we can see as we get ready to step out. These images pop in our mind of those people who are going to tell us no, who are going to put us down, who are going to tell us we can't. Mm. See, I learned a long time ago is, is everybody who's never done nothing is always willing to tell you how to do it. <laughs> these, well, Teddy Roosevelt. It's yeah, not the I, critic who counts. It's yeah, the man in the arena. Man, I mean, I, I, I can't tell you how much free help I have. I've had, you know. <laughs> and you put help and, in quotations, I hope. <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh, it's it's amazing. And, and so so we have the fear of of, of fences. Uh-huh. We have the fear of failure. I mean, the fear of um, faces. And then we have the fear of failure. Okay. And fear of and, failure. And, oh, yeah, that fear of failure, man. What if, what if, what if, yeah, it, what if it don't happen? What if it 
you know, I got to face all these people, you know, and, and, and sometimes, sometimes God will always put you to a place is, is where he gets you to a place to where he can stop you so we can refocus you to get you to restart again. Mm. And, 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 but the sad part is, is most of us don't stop. We keep plugging through and trying to do it on our own. And it just digs the hole, the rut deeper and deeper and deeper. And the failure gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And, and I've learned one thing is, is that the difference between failure and succeeding is, is one more try. Whoa, that's, that's profound. You know, and, and sometimes is, is you just got to do it one more time. You got to try it one more time. That's why you've got to stop, refocus, and restart. You know, but you got to have a plan. And 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 I'm a really, I'm I'm one of these guys. Okay, I I tell guys, whatever that thing that God's staring in you is, is is everything always starts with a concern. It's what are you concerned about? What is that thing that lights that fire in the middle of your chest? Mm -hmm. How can you take your concern and turn it into a cause? See, when you can turn your concern into a cause, then it becomes a for real dream. Then it becomes a vision. But the problem is, is the third C. It's this word called commitment. Mm-hmm. See, most men will commit to not to committing to anything. Yeah. So when when you are willing to take your concern, turn it into a cause, and you're willing to commit to it, failure is not even an option. Yeah. You know? But when you're not willing to commit to admit to it, there's always a chance for it to stop, for it to freeze, you know. And then here we go again. We see the barriers. We see the faces. And all of a sudden we're looking at fences and we just don't want anybody to know. Well, we see the faces of those who you call dream stealers. Yes. Oh, yeah. And I thought this was really good in your book also, you said. And and it's funny because the area... You're talking about fences, faces, and failure. That thing, that concern, that cause, you call it, that cause that we will be called to usually goes back to some incidents in our life where we experience a failure. And you wrote in your book, your mess, God God wants to get, he, we do acknowledge our mess so God can give us our message. Yes. And our oh, yeah. message usually comes out of our mess. And I thought yep. that was really good. But when we have a mess that's becoming a message, that's when we see those, hear those faces telling us we can't. Well, you can't do that. You are that. Or, or right. those barriers. Well, you can't do that because you don't have that intellectualism or you don't have that piece of paper or you don't have the education. And then we start yep. talking about this failure and we start digging the hole in that rut because we start saying, well, what if, what if, what if, what if. We, we, we get yep. paralyzed by the what ifs in life. Yeah, you remember you remember the story, and this is one of the most eye awakening things for me. You remember the story of, of of Samuel goes to Jesse's house to anoint a king. All the brothers come in; they didn't even invite David in the house. Yeah, his his old family did not even see what was inside of David, but God knew. And, yeah. and we have a lot of men today is is that people don't even see what's inside of them, but God does. And as long as you fear failure. You're never going to get out of the box. You're never going to let God out of the box, and you're never going to step into your kingmanship or whatever your 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 appointment is or your call is. You're never going to step into it because you're going to always fear. What if I don't? 
Well, you know what's interesting, Rex? I did a message this weekend in Colorado called Men on the Roof, and it was a story in Mark chapter 2 where the men, we four men carried him, but there were way more men in the story. There was a man guarding yep. the fence. You and I, would be, we wouldn't be carrying the man up the ladder. We're too big. We'd be down there blocking away, guarding the, guarding the ladder. You know, we'd have some little rat-faced guy digging the hole through the roof. Other guys are lowering him down. But in this men on the roof, it was really interesting, man. It's one of the few times in Scripture where Jesus healed somebody because of somebody else's faith. Yep. And so what we need, you said how God sees us. We need to have people in our life, and we need to become the kind of men ourselves who see people the way God sees them, yep. so that when they bring their mess to us, when they, yep. when they tell us about their fences or their faces or their failure, <coughs> we can speak life into them and say, that is not who you are. Right. That oh, is, yeah. You are not a paralyzed man. You are not paralyzed by fear. You are not paralyzed by faces. You are not paralyzed by fences, but I'm going to lure you through the roof. I'm going to bring you to Jesus and help you to walk into your best version of you. Yeah, I, you know, one of the one of the greatest guys is Mike Whitmer that does Disciple One Ministries. God, what a what a vision, what a what a story. And he was in our group and and he had a little baby that was shaken and uh, died. They brought it back to life, and and he was sitting out. He tells a story of where he was sitting out in front of the house, and he was thinking about how he was going to go in and afflict as much pain on that family that shook his baby, you know, and all of that. And he said it was like God opened up the front seat and said, "You're really going to leave your family to go do something stupid?" He said, "Give your pain a purpose." Mm. You know, and, and to be honest with you is, is, is that was my journey is, is, I mean, I, I played ball for all my life. If it had to have been for baseball, I'd still be in high school. And, <laughs> and, you know, I started playing slow pitch softball, traveled all over the country, good money, the whole nine yards. And, and, and I, I was around all these drug addicts and alcoholics and everything else, steroid users and all of that. And, and, you know, the, the funny part about it is, as I look back at my life now, is they're the, they're the kind of men that God has called me to reach. So the whole time I was running from God and I was playing ball, God was teaching me men's ministry. Hmm. You know, and, and that's the trip of it all is, is how God will take everything from your past and give it a purpose. Yeah, that is so good, man. I, I don't know. We have we are out of time already. That's this has been when you have your buddies on the podcast, it goes a lot faster. So, uh, yeah. well, for you, it went a long time because I don't like you. But anyway, <laughs> just kidding, man. Hey, it's been so good. I got one last question for you, Rex. Yes, so sir. You know this. You know. You know. You've listened to my, the conference, some of the stuff I've done, and uh, with the Man Card Confer- uh, podcast, we believe the man card is five things: protected integrity, fighting apathy. Pursuing God passionately, leading courageously, and finishing strong. Which of these five stands out the most to you right now, and why? The passion, man. You got to live your passion. You got to live it. I mean, God has put something inside of you that He is waiting for you to value it enough to live it out. And man, when you grab a hold of it, and it grabs a hold of you, is as life just takes on a whole new meaning. Life takes on a whole new journey. And your life go to a whole new place. And that's awesome. Thank you so much. How can our guys get yep. a hold of if you want to pick up one of your four books or they want to reach out to you personally? Uh, you can go to manupministries.net. That's the website. Um, all my information is up on it. 
feel free to contact me. The books are on Amazon. Um, if you click on the website now, there's two free books up there. One of them is, is a free download for Why Minister to Men. Great dear friend of mine, Dan Erickson, and I, we did that. Spent 18 months on the road training it. And then the other one is, it's just a very simple thing. Conversation starters called a starting point. You know, it's great for after a conference. You click on it, download it, and it just gives you some talking points to talk to your men for the next three or four weeks to keep them interested and keeping them moving. Yeah, that's awesome. I appreciate that. Well, hey, yep. man, Rex, thanks so much for coming on our show, taking our uh, time out of your busy work week and your paying yep. job to hang out with us and being a man of wisdom and being a man in the arena yourself. So thank you so much, sir. Thank you all. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Hey, man, you've been listening to the Man Card Podcast. Changing your world is the toughest thing you're ever going to do, but we want to help you along in your journey. Here are three simple ways to encourage you as you move towards life change. First, enlist. Pick up our great free resources, the Great Hunt for God app for men. The, subscribe to the Man Card Podcast and join our closed Men in the Arena Facebook forum for men. You will love that thing, guys. Number two, invest in resources that will change your life. We have a phenomenal group of resources with the Great Hunt for God. If ours don't work for you, try someone else's. We don't care who wins. We just as care. We just care that you win. And we are a kingdom-oriented organization that believes strongly in partnership. So we want to push other organizations your way if we do not fit for you. And number three, change your world. Get involved in championing causes you care about. Don't listen to those dream stealers. Don't listen to those. I can't, or don't think about those what-ifs. Get it done, join a cause, serve in your community, get involved in your church, and join us in building an army of men in the arena who are becoming the best version of themselves and changing their world because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Until next time, feel the wet sand of the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game. Get dirty. Grind it out. And be a man. This is Dale Culver, and you've been listening to the Man Card Podcast. Has your man card been challenged today? If you hunger to be the best version of you, then join the thousands of men around the country on our closed Facebook forum called The Men in the Arena. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of manhood. Also, make sure you ask about our newest equipping opportunity called The Man Card Weekend with The Men in the Arena. Let us inspire the men of your organization to become the best version of themselves today. And don't forget to purchase a copy of Jim's new book, The Man Card, Five Characteristics Separating Men from Boys. This is the best book out there that defines what a man is and does. In it, Jim combines his master storytelling abilities with his no-holds-barred style, distinguishing between men and boys. If you want to keep your man card, then pick up a copy of this life-changing book today. Simply go to the Great Hunt for God app or mancardpodcast.com and pick up a copy today. Thank you for listening to this episode, the Man Card Podcast. This is Dale Culver signing off. Until next time, join our army and become the best version of you. Get in the arena. Let the world feel the full weight of who you are. Grind it out. Be a man.
What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.